You're here on a great Sunday. We're in week two of our Christmas series called He Came, We Go. And uh, I want to tell you that this service is going to look a little different. When we come to the end of the message, um, we're going to uh, just spend some time really in prayer together for some specific things. And so if you've come to any of our Wednesday night prayer gatherings, you know what some of this will look like, but it's just going to be spending some time in uh, prayer together uh, toward uh, the end of our service. And I tell you that because I know uh, if you're a good Baptist like me, as soon as the preacher's done preaching, you start packing up and you're putting stuff away and you got chips and salsa on the brain and you're like, man, I'm out of here. But uh, we're going to do some praying uh, toward the end. And so, uh, uh, man, we've seen the Lord already moving in power this morning. And so let's jump into God's word. We are in week two of this series. He came, we go. What does that mean? It means that Jesus came Um, with the message that we can be reconciled to God. And because he came with that message, we've been given that message and been sent out on the mission of seeing others be reconciled. We are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to go ahead and jump over there. 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to be looking into this uh, ever-restoring message and ever-restoring mission. And so uh, last week, we looked at the ever-restoring message, and really we settled on two big truths, uh, which was that Jesus came to step into our brokenness. That's what Christmas is about, that Jesus came to, to meet us and, and step into our brokenness. We talked about how Jesus came at a, at a very broken time in history. He came to a very broken place, and he came for a broken people. And all of that gives us hope because our lives are broken. We have struggles. We have brokenness all around. And Jesus came to step into our brokenness. But not just that, Jesus came to restore our brokenness. That's the ever-restoring message that God came to earth to deliver us from our sin and restore us back to himself. If you ever have to try to tell someone why we love Christmas and why we do what we do at Christmas, it is this, because God came down. And God came down to deliver us from our sin and restore us back to himself. And we call it the ever-restoring message. We use that language very purposefully because when we have put our hope and our trust in Jesus, it fundamentally changes everything about us. When we have put our hope and trust in Jesus, it changes everything about us. Every part of who we are is restored and is being restored. That's what it means to find new life in Christ. We find life in Jesus, and when we do, we are restored to him. He gives us new life, and that leads to an ongoing life of restoration, which, listen, ultimately leads to a life where we become agents of restoration. When you have put hope and faith in Christ, you are restored, you're being restored, and you begin to live a life that God uses to restore others. That's the message, right? Because when we embrace the ever-restoring message, we are called to live the ever-restoring mission. When we embrace the message that God came down, We embrace the mission that we are to go and tell. And that's really what Christmas is about. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to dive in starting at verse 17. And what you see Paul describing here is 
that ever-restoring life that is found in Jesus. That, that's what we see him describing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, let's pick it up. Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Paul is, Paul is describing for us what being restored back to God does in our life. It makes us new. He says, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Aren't you glad it doesn't say if anyone is in Christ, they are made a little bit better than they were before? <laughs> Aren't you glad? If anyone is in Christ, he's just not quite as bad as he used to be. Aren't you glad it doesn't say? No, it says if you are in Christ, you have been made new, meaning this, you've been made into something you were not before. You were this, you met Christ, now you're new. That's what Paul is saying. And salvation, listen, is not that we're made a little better. It's that we're made new, new in Christ, new creation. Paul says, he uses a very important phrase. He says, if anyone is in Christ. That's an important little phrase because what it implies is we're not all in Christ and something has to happen for us to be in Christ. Listen, I want to tell you, you aren't born saved. You're actually born separated from God and it is in receiving the message of Jesus that you are in Christ and it is in that moment that you are made new, new creation, old passing away. That's, this is the language Paul uses. The way Jesus said it in John 3 was, he called it being born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Which means this, by faith in Jesus, we receive the life of Jesus. And are now in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus every day. That is the ever-restoring life. That's what that is. And this, this life that we're living, this, this journey of Christianity, is learning how to live this new life we've been given. That's what it is. You know, when I was nine years old, uh, I prayed to receive Christ. I made Jesus the Lord of my life. And I turned 45 over the weekend. I know he don't look 45. I know. Uh, but I did. I turned 45 over the weekend. And for those of you who think, no, you don't look 45. You look 55. You can just get out. Uh, <laughs> but for 36 years now, I, I've belonged to Christ. And he's been the Lord of my life. And I look back on those 36 years and if you've belonged to Jesus for 36 years, you ought to be able to look back and see the evidence that you've been made new, that you've been born again, that the old really is going away and the new really is coming. There ought to be an evidence of that. And so I look back and go, okay, is there? Is there an evidence in my life that I really was born again when I was nine years old? And what I've discovered is there has been this growing love for God over these 36 years. There has been a growing desire for him, a growing desire for his presence and love for his word. There has been a growing personal holiness that he has um, done in my life. There's been the evidence of the Holy Spirit moving in me. That doesn't, don't hear me say, 
I've been perfect. Hear me say, he changed my life. Right? And I think anyone who is in Christ, if you are in Christ, while you might look at your life and you don't see perfection, you must be able to look at your life and see transformation. You are no longer who you were. Not because you're a little less bad but because you've been born again. You've been made new. Has that happened for you? Has that happened for you? And the reason I tell you that, is be, the reason I tell you even my own story, because here's my plea this morning, here's my appeal, and I need every heart in the room to lean in. Salvation is not um, the evidence of salvation. Is not in a prayer that you prayed. The evidence of salvation is not in a prayer that you prayed. The evidence of salvation is not that you were baptized. There are going to be plenty of people who said some words and got wet and spend eternity separated from God. The evidence of salvation is that you have been made new. You've received new life in Christ. That's the evidence of salvation. Because anybody can say some words, anybody can get wet, but my question is, have you been born again? Have you been made new? That means you've become something you weren't before. You were dead, now you're alive. You were lost, and now you are saved. You are found. And I'm going to ask you through the morning to search your heart. Search your heart. And ask the Holy Spirit, am I born again? God help us if we let all of eternity swing on the hinge of I said some words when I was seven. And maybe that's when you came to faith. It happened for me when I was nine. But do not let eternity swing on the hinge of I said some words. Let it swing on the hinge of I am filled with the Spirit and He's changed my life and I can see the evidence of it. Because if you said some words and there's no evidence, today is the day of your salvation. You got to give your heart to Christ because eternity is forever. So what does this look like? Right? I, I think this leads us to two questions. One is, how is this ever restoring life possible? How is it possible? How do I attain it? And what does it produce? How is this life possible? And what does it produce? Let's answer that first question. How is the ever restoring life possible? And I want you to see this. The ever restoring life is made possible only by God's grace. Only by God's grace through the reconciling work of Jesus. That's it. Let's just sit with that for a second. The ever restoring life is made possible only by God's grace through the reconciling work of Jesus. Look at verse 18. Look at the first five words. He says this All this is from 
God. All of what? Well, he's referring back to verse 17. He's referring back to the ever-restoring life where he said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He's talking about salvation and this ever-restoring life and how it is not by our doing. It is not by our own effort. It is not in our work. It is from God. It is his work and it is by grace alone. All of this is from God. Our salvation begins in the grace of God. Do you believe that? I hope so. Because our salvation is kept and continues through the grace of God. And our salvation will ultimately be completed by the grace of God. It is not your work. It is not your effort. It is not your doing. All of this is from God. And I think there's some of you in the room this morning, which by the way, there were in the 930 service, three people came to faith today. And here's why, because they came to a place where they realized I am banging my head against a wall, trying to find peace and meaning in this life. And the harder I try, the further I feel from God. Do you want to know why? Because it's not about what you can do. All of this, this life This restored life, this new creation, all of this is from God and from God alone. And it is made available to you by faith alone, through Christ alone. That's it. I want you to be searching your heart. Look at the rest of that verse. Look at the rest of verse 18. All this is from God, this this restored life, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now that, that, that phrase, he reconciled us to himself, that, that's worthy of some examination because it speaks to the nature um, of our relationship with God. And it prompts a question in my mind, why is reconciliation even necessary? Why was it necessary that Jesus would have to reconcile us because that word reconciliation implies there's been some kind of hostility. There's been some kind of of, of separation, some kind of, of alienation that would require being reconciled. And it is this reason, because sin severs the relationship with God. I want you to hear me. Your sin does not just slightly harm your relationship with God. Your sin does not just make it a little bit difficult in your relationship with God. Your sin utterly destroys your relationship with God. And there is nothing you can do to undo that destruction. It is why we are utterly dependent on the work of Jesus Christ and the life of Christ to restore what sin destroyed. Only this is all from God. And the reconciliation was necessary because sin broke the relationship. And we talked about this brokenness last week. All of the brokenness in our life, in our relationships, in our bodies, in our life, all of the areas of brokenness that we see are all the byproduct of being alienated from God and being cut off from relationship with Him. It's all of that, which, listen, makes makes this the greatest dilemma in humanity. The greatest dilemma for all humanity is not 
Are we going to survive? Are we going to thrive financially? Is my family doing okay? Are we healthy? That's not the greatest dilemma. The greatest dilemma for humanity is that we are cut off from God, that we are cut off from life in God, that we are cut off from the one thing we were created for, which is fellowship with God, and in being cut off from him, there's nothing we can do about it. That's the greatest dilemma of humanity. You were created to find life and purpose in relationship with God. But because of sin, we've been cut off from him. If that's the greatest dilemma, that we're alienated from God, and it is, listen, then the greatest need of humanity is that we would be reconciled back to him. That is the greatest need in your life. There is nothing you need more than to be reconciled to God. Nothing. There's no need in your life greater than the need to be reconciled back to God. And that is exactly why Jesus came. Through Jesus, God is reconciling. He is reuniting his relationship with humanity. And so it's important that we don't miss this. The purpose of Christmas, the purpose of Jesus coming to earth was not just about humanity missing hell and getting heaven. That's not the purpose. That's not the only purpose. It isn't just about us not going to hell and getting heaven. It is about us experiencing and encountering life that is found only in relationship with God. That's what this is about. You were created for a life you cannot have apart from Christ, and so he came down. Do you believe that? Thank you. (laughs) Me too. It is the life you were created for. You were not created just to miss hell. You were created to know God. You were not created just to miss hell. You were created to have peace in this life and to be in an ever-growing relationship with him. And right now, there are some of you who are slamming your head against a spiritual wall, wondering what in the world do you have to do to finally have peace with God? And the answer is rest, surrender, receive. Not work, try, effort. It is receive the gift. Rest in the gift. Be born again. Surrender to Christ. That's the ever-restoring life. And it is possible only because of Jesus. And how does God do this? How does he bring about this reconciliation through Christ? We'll look at verse 19. Paul says this. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Now, I don't know that there's any phrase in all of Scripture that floors me more than our trespasses are not counted against us. I, I just don't know that there's anything that ought to floor the human heart more. You see this phrase over and over. It says in one of the Psalms, blessed is the man whose iniquities are not counted against him. There is something 
powerful in this moment. But that little phrase right there, the sins, the trespasses are not counted against them, that demands a question. Here's why. Because if God is holy, and if God is righteous, perfect in both of those things, and if God is just, then how in the world could he not count sins against us? And God isn't just just. He doesn't just love just. When when I say God is just, what I mean is he cannot tolerate anything that is less than perfectly just. So how can he see the sin of humanity and just not count it against us? I want you to imagine for a minute that uh, uh, right now while you're in church, this isn't happening so you can relax, but imagine right now while you're in church, your house is being robbed. Right now, it's happening. Uh, And they're not just taking a picture or two. They got everything. There's nothing there. And they took your cars, um, took everything you had, hacked your bank account, took every nickel you own. It's gone. And on the way out, away from your house, they burned it to the ground. Life. They just took it. Now, they, they got caught. And when they got caught, they had all your stuff driving your cars and they had a can of gasoline. The the evidence of their guilt was all around. They get brought before a judge and the judge looks and says, I see the evidence of your guilt all over. But I'm just not going to hold you responsible for it. If that's my stuff in my house, when that judge comes up for re-election, he better be good at something other than judging because he's gone. You know what I mean? How does God not count our trespasses against us? Because the evidence of our guilt is everywhere. (laughs) It's everywhere. And the answer is found in the very next verse, in verse 21, which is a banner verse for New Beginnings. It says this, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. This is the greatest summation of the gospel and the entire Bible because it is the great exchange. How does God not count our sins against us? It is this. God is able to do that because he has counted our sins against Jesus. That's how he does it. It isn't that you aren't guilty. It's that he takes the weight of your guilt. He takes the brokenness of your life. He takes all the evidence that you are fully guilty and he takes it off of you and he wraps it on his son. And from Jesus, he takes righteousness, which is perfect. It is holy. It is beautiful. And he puts that on us so that when he sees us, he sees Christ. And when he sees Christ, he sees your sin. And there's this exchange because God made him to be sin, even though he didn't know sin, so that in him we might become righteousness. How does he do it? Christ The cross, the empty tomb. That's how he did it. This is why the angels, when they came to those terrified shepherds, he said, hey, fellas, I got good news. What's the good news? Your trespasses aren't counted against you. I'm going to give you great joy. What do you mean? Your sins aren't counted against you. I'm going to give you peace with God. How are you going to do that? Your sins will not be counted against you. But you receive this gift, this ever-restoring life 
through faith in Jesus Christ. And you don't get it any other way. And it is why when we come to the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do in just a little bit, it is why for the believer there is no more beautiful moment of worship than to remember the breaking of his body that saved me and the spilling of his blood that cleansed me. And if there's a part of you that has gotten over it, ask yourself if you had ever really received it. It's it's a worthwhile question. And this is for every soul in the room. None of us are exempt from examining, have I been made new? Not better, born again. Has that happened? That's how you receive the ever-restoring life, by faith alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, what does this produce in us then? What does this life, this ever-restoring life produce? When God reconciles us through Jesus, he gives us the ever-restoring mission of being agents of reconciliation. Look at verse 18 again. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled us and then gave us the responsibility of proclaiming the message. He says it again in verse 19. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Listen to me, believer. If you have been reconciled to God, if you know that you have been born again, then you have been reconciled to join God in his work of reconciliation. Otherwise, why are we still here? (laughs) You ever ask yourself the question, after I'm saved, what am I still doing here? If all salvation is about is you missing hell and getting heaven, and it's just about you and Jesus, then why are we still here after salvation? It's because it isn't just about me and Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done for me and now what he wants to do through me. I've received a message and so I've been put on a mission. And if you have been given new life in Christ, you have been given that new life not just so that you could grow in knowing God, but yes, restored in relationship with him. Yes, being fully reconciled to him, becoming more and more like Jesus. Yes, but also so that that new life that has caused you to to rearrange everything, to see God new, to love him more, to pursue him with all you have, that new life now being lived through you is to be shared with someone else who has yet to be born again. You've been called to live on mission. It's why we have it. He says it again in verse 20. Look at how he says it. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ and God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a representation of one kingdom given the authority by the king or the president of that kingdom to take a message to another kingdom. We have been given the message of the kingdom of God to go out into the kingdom of darkness and lostness 
and separation from God and to give the message with the authority of the God of heaven that Jesus came to save sinners, that they are alienated from God, but through him they can be reconciled back to God. I think you see an amazing example of this in the life of Paul. You see it in in the life of Paul. His own life was really about coming to know Jesus and about making Jesus known. Which, by the way, if you want to know what is the summation of the Christian life, it is this. Know Jesus and make Jesus known. Know him and make him known. And this, we see this example from Paul. Look at what he says a few verses before, back up in verse 16. Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He's saying, once we recognize Jesus for who he is, we can no longer see anyone the same again. We regard no one according to the flesh. Paul says, I no longer see people from an earthly perspective. Here's what that meant for Paul. He no longer saw Jew or Gentile. Didn't matter to him anymore. He no longer saw pagan or religious. Didn't matter. He didn't see slave or free. He saw lost or saved. That's what he saw. Here's what that means in our context. We we no longer see the haves and the have-nots. We don't see rich and poor. We don't see socially uh, accepted or outcast. We don't see popular or unpopular. We don't see conservative or liberal. We see lost or found. We see dead or alive. That's it. So the question I want to ask you is this. Have you experienced the ever-restoring message of Jesus. Do not let eternity swing on the hinge of I repeated after somebody when I was little, but rather examine your life. Is there evidence that you have been made new? Because if there isn't, you haven't. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't enter a space and leave it the same. Have you been born again? ask you to bow your head with me for a moment. I believe in this room that there are some who when I said you were banging your head against a wall, something in you went, yep, you sure are. That's you. You're banging your head against a wall. You are laboring and striving and fighting, trying to figure out how to have some peace in your life and how to have peace with God. And nothing you've tried has worked. And you are sick of not knowing. You are sick of this being a question in your life. Yeah, you may have said some words when you were little. You may have even been baptized. But when you honestly look at your life, you know your life has never changed. It was never changed. If that's you, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If that's you, right now, would you just stand up and look at me? If that's you. It's all right. This is a moment where you're saying, I realize I need something. I need Jesus. I need my life to change. I need the Lord. 
I need to be born again. If that's you, you know you need this. Just stand up and look at me for a moment. suggest to me that every one of you are 100% confident in your salvation. 100% confident you know where you will spend eternity and that you've been born again. And if that's you, then I want to say the next question I have for you is this. Are you living on the mission? Are you living on the mission? Are you allowing this life that you've received to just terminate on you because it's awkward to talk about it? You weren't saved so that it would terminate. You've been given life so that you can be a part of the work God is doing. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to receive communion here in just a few minutes. But between now and then, I want us to continue to examine our heart. Um, and so we're going to worship. We're going to respond. And for you, this is a time of making sure your heart is ready to receive communion. Are there things of sin in your life that you need to confess? God's word says we don't take communion, we don't take this in an unworthy manner. Is there something you need to put in front of the Lord? Is there a burden you're carrying? A burden you're carrying for yourself, for your family, just something you're struggling with and you need somebody to pray with you? This is the time. We're gonna stand in worship and our ministers and pastors, we're gonna be down front and listen, if for some reason you didn't stand up, just for some reason, as we, as I said, I wanted you to stand up, and, but you just couldn't get on your feet. The moment Philip starts singing, I want you to step out and go, listen, I didn't stand up, but I need Jesus. I am tired of banging my head against the wall, and I want to be born. I want new life. I want to be made new. So I'm invite you to stand. And the moment we start singing, if you have a burden, if you need to give your heart to Christ, if you just need somebody to pray for you, spend some time in confession then you come forward and we'll prepare for that Father I just pray that over the next few moments you would move in our room we ask it in Jesus name